Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Good morning, my name is Dale, and I'll be reading the Word of God from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's go cross over to the other side of the lake. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was already in the boat, and others and other boats were with him. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care we're going to die? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you so fearful? Do you have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Thank you, Dale. Well, last week I joked about, um, for those of you that may, were able to make it here, that it was the four-wheel drive uh, service, people that had vehicles that could make it. Um, we're glad to see many of you today, and many of you I know are still joining us online in this uh, very unique uh, season that we find ourselves in. Um, the end of this last year... Uh, we were walking through the Gospel of Mark. And so we're picking that up again in the new year. And the last question that uh, we heard Dale just read from our passage is vitally important for us to know the answer to as believers today. The question was, who is this? Who is this? They're talking about Jesus. And so this morning, we might ask ourselves that that same question, or at least a variation of that question. Who is this? Do we really know Jesus? And this is a question uh, I found myself grappling with a little bit in the last couple of months. And you'd be like, wait a second, should a pastor be grappling with this question? So let me explain. I know who Jesus is very well. Uh, but I uh, have been having a conversation with a man who also says he knows Jesus, but we have different ideas of who Jesus is. Uh, this particular man uh, in our neighborhood belongs to a group uh, uh, that claim to be believers in Christ called Iglesia Ni Cristo. Iglesia Ni Cristo is a group that um, originated in the Philippines, and they have churches uh, spread out in the Puget Sound as well. Iglesia Ni Cristo doesn't believe in the same Jesus that you and I believe in. They believe that Jesus was uh, a very good man, that he was sent by God, that he was even given powers from God, but that he is not God himself. And so as me and this particular, this individual have been dialoguing back and forth, we've both been sharing scripture to each other, and we've both been asking each other to consider the words of Jesus, the prophecies about Jesus, the nature of Jesus. Jesus. So when I say I've been grappling with this question, it's, it's been in this relationship with this young man. So, so many of you probably have encountered people before that say they know Jesus, but then they say they're a part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
And they believe, for instance, that Jesus and Satan are brothers. So immediately we call into question, is this the same Jesus? And the same thing with Iglesia Ni Cristo, the same thing with many kind of uh, offshoots or cults of, that are somehow connected to Christianity, but they de- deny the nature of Jesus in what we see in Scripture. So who is Jesus? And one of the questions we've been asking as we've been walking through Mark's gospel is along these lines. So who is Jesus? Who, who, what does Scripture reveal about him? And Mark's account is a, a record of Jesus' life. It gives us an idea of who he is, what he did, how he taught, the power that he demonstrated. Then the question that we ask ourselves as Jesus followers today, what does that look like? How do we follow Jesus today? Because much of what we read about Jesus was written from 2,000 years ago, right? There was no smartphones. There was no America like we know it today. So much is different. So how do we, knowing who he was then, how do we follow him today? And then the third question we've been asking as we've been walking through Mark's gospel is, what are we inviting people into? As Christians, is, is the sum total of our faith Sunday morning? It, when we try to invite people to follow Jesus, are we just inviting them to a meeting once a week? No. Now, Sunday morning, Christianity is more than Sunday morning, right? Certainly not less than, though, our gatherings either. So we've been asking ourselves these questions. And I think, I hope for you, last, uh, at the end of last year as we were walking through these, I know it was for me, that it's been refreshing, it's been challenging, it's been powerful as we're reminded of the nature and person of Jesus Christ. So if you weren't with us uh, uh, so far, we've, we're, we're four chapters in, this is the end of chapter four that Dale just read. What we've seen so far about Jesus, uh, a quick recap. Jesus has healed people. Jesus has cast out demons. Jesus has taught about the kingdom of God. Jesus has healed some more people. He's cast out some more demons. He's then called disciples or apprentices to to walk with him and learn his ways. Jesus has upset some religious leaders. He's upset some of his own family members. He's taught in stories or parables, as the Bible calls them. And when we last left Jesus in the gospel account of Mark, he was teaching these parables from a boat. He had asked his disciples, hey, pull this boat up because the crush of people is too much. Uh, I need some space so that I I can imagine so he could project his voice out to all those that had gathered. So the disciples had done that. They grabbed a boat and Jesus was teaching these parables. You'll find them in Mark chapter 4, chapter 3. He's teaching these parables from a boat. And as Dale just read, after that long teaching session they decide to set out across the sea. Actually, Jesus decides, hey, it's time to go. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee, which is basically uh, a big lake. And then when they do that, things start to go terribly wrong. Uh, If this story sounds familiar, this story of Jesus in the boat and the storm sounds familiar, it's because it's recorded in other accounts of Jesus' life, in Matthew and Luke, as well as Mark. Now, most likely, Matthew and Luke's accounts were pulling from Mark's accounts because Mark's accounts actually have a little more specific information about what's going on. There's other boats with them. Um, Mark's account includes details like specifically where Jesus was laying his head, kind of on a cushion on the bow of the boat. 
and they were in the Sea of Galilee. This is the, this is the Sea of Galilee right here, uh, modern-day Galilee. Uh, Galilee is an interesting spot because uh, it sits, actually, maybe you didn't know this, but it sits almost 700 feet below sea level. That's significant, right? We're just maybe at 40 feet above sea level right here, 700 feet further down. And because of this kind of unique topography, Galilee is prone to some radical weather shifts. I was talking about this with Tiffany. Almost everywhere people live, they say this phrase, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. And we're talking about, because Aaron and Tiffany are from Texas, that it's true in Texas. It could be 80 in the morning, and it could be, you know, 11 degrees in the evening. Um, the same is true in Galilee. Galilee being uh, 700 feet below sea level, you can see the mountains that it surrounds it by. A storm could come in very quickly from the Mediterranean and completely change the weather system in a moment. So that's what has happened in this story with Jesus. So this is a short scene in Jesus' life that reveals a lot about who he is and what faith in him looks like. So for us today, the who is Jesus question, a part of that will be answered as we look at this passage together. So our message today is Mark 4, 35 through 41, simply Jesus calming the storm. Jesus calming the storm. Uh, one phrase I've heard over the years, and I'm sure you've heard this too, is part of our, our, our language, our English language, uh, especially in the church, is the phrase, the storms of life. The storms of life. Um, like a weather event, usually these storms are experienced um, in unexpected ways. They bring tough times. And oftentimes when we're in a, what we call a storm of life, we realize that we're powerless to stand against what is happening. In 2008, there was a huge recession, a big financial hardship that happened. Nobody could stand against it. Nobody could change it. Everybody was affected by it in one way or another. Um, this last two years, the storm of life has been health. Um, it's so interesting. Right before Christmas, our worship center was packed with folks. But obviously in recent weeks, a number of folks have been sick with COVID and with other things. So this is a, a very real storm that is happening in our culture right now. Um, for some of you, the holiday season, it heightens the brokenness in relationships that you have. Maybe with your spouse, maybe with your parents or other loved ones. So relationships can be maybe one of those storms of life. Now, to be sure, sometimes we walk right into these storms by our own bad decisions. We, we bring, the, bring it on ourselves by our own sin. But oftentimes, through no action on our part, Tough times happen. Storms occur in our lives. For me, personally, uh, 2021 ended in this kind of way. As I lost both a very close family member and a close friend to death. Not COVID-related, so I had no idea it was coming. And so it was a very, very tough end to the year for me. Now, for the disciples... Uh, they had been with Jesus, and they had seen him do some pretty amazing things already in their time with him. But here they are, through no fault of their own, they are in a boat with Jesus in a literal storm. In, in fact, not only is the storm not their fault, but it was Jesus' idea to begin with, 
to go across the lake. And here they are. But also, as they're dealing with this storm, they forget something. They forget who is really with them. Jesus never says to them, go across the lake. Um, Good luck, suckers. You take the boat and I'll see you on the other side. He doesn't say that to them. He is with them while they're experiencing this storm. But they respond as if they don't really know him. In that moment, what seemed like a a possible life-threatening situation, to them, the storm was more powerful than the presence of Jesus. Especially because to them, it seemed like Jesus didn't even care. So in the center of this scene from Jesus' life, we see some questions that reflect the heart of the disciples and the nature of Jesus. The very first one is from the disciples. They say this, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care if we drown? What, what kind of question is this? It seems to be a rhetorical question. I, I'm sure they knew that Jesus cared about them, right? I'm sure that he didn't want them to die. I'm sure that they knew that. But what they were asking him in this moment was to join them in their fear. They were saying, Jesus, don't you care? In other words, aren't you freaking out like we're freaking out? You're just laying there taking a nap. Don't you care? You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it as I was reading this. How often I've done that in my life. But this isn't the only scene that we see the followers of God, the people of God, doubt the power and the nature and the care, the compassion of God. For those of you that are familiar with the biblical story, you might remember how the nation, the whole nation of Israel was freed from slavery in Egypt through a series of miraculous events, plagues, and a sea being parted, and the armies being defeated. And they are freed from this slavery, from hundreds of years of slavery, and they find themselves out in the desert, and they are hungry. And you know what they essentially say to God? Is, don't you care about us? We had better food to eat back in slavery in Egypt. And so this is a a human condition that we have. God can display his power. He can speak and he can do these miraculous things. But when times get tough, we forget it like that. I call it Israelite syndrome. (laughs) God does these things. The next day we doubt it. Some of you know what this is like. Maybe you were at a worship service or you're in your own devotional time or you had a moment where you clearly felt the presence of Jesus in your life. And a day later, a week later, a month later, a year later, you're like, does God even exist? Is he even real? Does he even care about me? We forget so quickly. So the disciples, they had experienced the power of Jesus already up to this point, casting out demons, healing people, And here, when the storm happens, they go, don't you even care if we drown? This is like a parent who sees the child of another parent doing something risky on the playground. And they say, don't you see what your kid's doing? It's like, of course I do. They're going to be fine. We do this all the time. So Jesus gets up from his nap. But he doesn't join them in their fear. He doesn't go, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Start bailing water out. He doesn't join them in their fear. Instead, he does something miraculous. He speaks 
and nature obeys. Immediately showing his divinity, his power over creation. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, who spoke all things into being. So Jesus immediately speaks and the situation changes. And then he asks the disciples two questions. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 2,000 years later, these are still questions that were asked by Jesus today. In the middle of what we are experiencing in tough times in life, Jesus might ask us that. Why are you so afraid? Do you not know that you belong to me? That I love you? That I gave my life for you? Do you still have no faith? I overcame death for you, death on the cross, so that you might know me, that you might be reconciled to the one who made you, and that you might live forever. Do you still have no faith? Then the disciples ask one more question. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, here's what we can gather from their surprised response. They didn't actually expect Jesus to do anything about the storm. They were, su they were surprised. What? Who is this? They didn't expect him to do anything. They just wanted Jesus to participate in their fear, to freak out a bit with them, maybe act like he cared, but change things? No way, that apparently wasn't in the realm of possibility in their thinking. Maybe they just wanted an extra hand to bail the water out. I don't know. In many ways, the disciples in this moment, they exchanged one fear for another fear. First, they feared their circumstances because they were powerless against them. Then they feared Jesus because of his display of power. A different type of fear. A fear of respect, a fear of awe. But for them, something that they weren't expecting. Jesus had demonstrated his power before, but this time for them to see power over creation itself, it blew their minds. You know, here's the thing. The disciples believed in Jesus. They believed he was a real person. That's why they were with him. <laughs> In the boat. They believed he was a good teacher. They'd heard it. They'd seen thousands of people show up to hear his teaching. They, they believed he was a good person. They'd never heard him cuss or speak down to anybody, get angry over something silly. They knew him. They'd walked with him. They'd spent time with him. They knew that he had some sort of power because he had demonstrated it before, healing people and casting out evil spirits. And they were even willing to follow Jesus around to where he was going. But despite all of these things, when times got tough, fear swamped their faith. So we might ask the question today, the questions that Jesus asked us, why are we afraid? Do we still have no faith? When life is difficult, when it's broken, when it's not going how we want it to, 
These questions provoke us to examine what we believe about God. And when we ask that, the battleground of fear versus faith comes into focus. And the root of, I think, so many of our fears as Christians is that we doubt whether God is enough in our life. Is God enough? Is our relationship with Jesus sufficient? And, and, and just like the disciples, our fear is often revealed in the questions we ask. What questions do you ask when you're going through difficult times? What questions do you ask when you feel powerless in the seasons and situations you find yourselves in? Do you ask, well, I, I know Jesus is with me, but what if I don't get what I want? That perfect spouse, those kids that I desire, that career that will fulfill me. What if I don't get those things? I know Jesus is with me, but, but boy, I really need these things too. What does that reveal about our fear and about our faith? Or, or, I know Jesus is with me, but, you know, in order for me to really follow him, uh, first I need to think about some things. I need to think about my bank account, my retirement, whether I can send my kids to college when they graduate from high school. I, I, I need to worry about those things. I know Jesus is with me, but, but these things are, man, I don't know what to do about them. I remember some years ago, talking with a, a good friend of mine, and him and his wife had a couple of children, and they, they were feeling led to adopt and he, he told me, he says, you know, I really want to, I really want to adopt uh, another kid uh, or a kid, and, and we have room in our family. We, we have love to give. But there's a, a certain amount of money that I've been trying to save for my kid's college. If we add a third, then that just becomes that much more money that I have to earn. And I remember asking him, I said, does a, does a certain dollar amount keep you from following what God has called you to do? Is that the way it works? He was giving into this fear that was really perpetuated by this American idealism. And as he wrestled through that, he, he was eventually able to, to trust God that if God was calling him to do this, he would provide everything he needed, not just for himself, but for his children as well. Eventually, him and his wife adopted two kids. And I love that. I know Jesus is with me, but I, I need to make sure that I can control what I can control first before I, before I trust him fully. I, I know Jesus is with me, but man, things have been tough for a long time. Where is he? Why is he so quiet? When the storms of your life come, and, and they will come, your response to fear will reveal your faith. Reveal what you know about Jesus. How powerful you really think he is. Okay, I know he can do these things, but can he do this? I don't know. And that's what the disciples had made up their mind about. We know he can heal and cast out demons, but that's different than weather. Than saving us in this type of situation. We do the same thing, don't we? Well, I know Jesus has something to say about like loving my neighbor and about it my eternity someday, but does he care about this thing right now? I don't think he has the power to say anything or do anything about this thing. And how often do we do that? There's a story I love. Uh, I think I've shared this before as an illustration, but there was this family and they were down uh, at the lake 
And there was young kids running all around and playing in the water. For a moment, a father took his eye off his four-year-old son. Last time he saw him, he was at the end of the dock in the lake. And he turned to, to see him again, and he was gone. Nowhere to be seen. And in a panic, he ran to the end of the dock, and he looked in the water, and he couldn't see his son. So they jumped in the water, and he's feeling all around in the water, coming up for air, going back down for air, and he cannot find him. On what seemed like an eternity, he finally, feeling around in the murky water of the lake, reaches back out towards the dock, and he feels his four-year-old son, and he's gripping to the supporting beam underneath the dock, just holding onto it tightly. And the, the father pulls him off and pulls him up, and the son gasps for air. And when they recover from, from what had just happened, and he's tears streaming down his face because his son is still alive, he says, what were you doing? Why were you holding on to that beam? And his son said, I was just holding on because I knew you would come for me. I was holding on until you came. And so many of us, as we go through tough times, that's what it feels like. Maybe you can relate to that. You've been in a prolonged season, a prolonged storm. And Jesus seems quiet. He seems like he's asleep in the bow. And you're just holding on. Not sure. But you know, you have just enough faith to know that he eventually is going to come for you. He eventually is going to come through and show his grace and his mercy and his power to help you in your situation. And here's the thing. One way or another, whether you believe in Jesus or not, one day Jesus and his power are going to be displayed in your life. You're going to find out that he is God. And you're going to be absolutely awed at who he is, just like the disciples in the boat. The question is, are you willing to live a life now that steps out of your fear and trusts him? Or are you going to keep living a life restricted by fear and only one day see this power at the end? And this isn't just for Christians and non-Christians. Certainly, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus, there will be a day when you, the words that you're hearing now, you will know that they are true. But for those of us that are Christians, do we really believe Jesus has this kind of power today, now, in our lives? Or have we, like the disciples, says, well, I know he can do these things, but I'm not sure about this thing. This is unique to me. This is too hard, even for God. I'm not good with statistics, but I know that the percentages say there are uh, a number of us in this room right now and, and watching online that have let fear dictate the way they live their life. You've let fear say what you can and cannot do. You, you believe in Jesus, but have in your own life limited what he's capable of. Some of this is imparted to us by our culture that says you have to do these things in a certain order. You graduate from high school, then of course you go to college, and then of course you find a a stable job, and of course you get married, and of course you have kids, and of course then you pay for your kids' college, and of course you have an X amount of money saved up in retirement, 
And because the culture says we, this is the track that we follow on, anything that, that makes us consider deviating from that track, well, that's just wild and crazy. That would, that's too much. That's too, that's, there's no way God would call me to do that. To, to not go to college after high school? No way, that's crazy. I'm just, that, would, that would bankrupt my future. I could never accomplish anything if I don't have that degree. To, to be called to be single? No way. No, no. The best life is a married life. That's not true. We, we believe these things. And because of that, when the Lord then speaks and says, I want you to do this thing, or I have this, this better thing for you, we go, wait, that doesn't fit. And then our response is fear. This is a problem. Because a disciple that is following a good teacher, but not a good God, will easily abandon the teacher when times get tough. When our faith is rooted, though, in the reality that Jesus is God, then we have a Christianity that is rooted in something unshakable. In, the, in early Christian art, just a few generations after this scene happens in Jesus' life, Early Christian art depicts the church as a boat driven on a perilous sea with Jesus in the midst. There's nothing to fear. There's a lot of ancient art that depicts this. I often feel like my life in the, in the years that I've lived, my 42 years on, on this earth, has been like a boat with a sail up. And I say, Holy Spirit, you're the wind. You take me where you want to take me. I've lived in East Asia. I've lived in Hawaii. I've lived in Northern California. I've lived in Eastern Washington. But it's not just about living. It's about what God has called me, my wife, our family to be a part of. Things that are scary and fearful, but good. Because Jesus is with me in the midst of all of them. So what's the point? What's the point? Ultimately, Jesus would display his divine power in an even more miraculous way than this boat scene. He would do it by living a perfect life, by willingly taking on the penalty of our sin, which is eternal death. And he would take that penalty on him and he would die and in his dying, he would then, in the ultimate display of his power, overcome death, breaking the power of our sin so that we might, in, by faith in him, have eternal life. The same Jesus who calmed the storm and made a way to be free from our sin will return one day. He said he would. I believe him. And for those who have faith, there will be joy on that day because we expect it. I know what you've done, Jesus. I will be ready when you return. There's going to be a celebration. But those who do not expect it, well, they're going to be like the men on the boat. There will be terror. There will be awe. There will be fear. Because they knew, but they didn't believe. They heard, but they never responded. And in that moment, it would be too late. 
Paul, in talking about this message, this message of Jesus, what he's done, he says this in 1 Corinthians 3.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's foolishness to think that Jesus could command the wind and the waves to be still. But he did. It's foolishness to think that God would become man like one of us so that he could live a sinless life and take the penalty of sin on our behalf. That's crazy talk. So that we could what? Know God and live forever? Ridiculous. To those who are believing this, who are perishing, this message is crazy. But to those of us who are being saved, who are believing Jesus, who are growing in our faith, it is the power of God displayed. So church family, don't forget. Don't forget who Jesus is. In the middle of the storm, don't forget the power of God. In the difficulty of your decisions, don't forget that he actually cares about those decisions. And he wants you to have faith. Don't forget that though he may be silent in the moment, Jesus is with you always in the storm. And don't forget that what he calls you to, he'll get you through. The thing that might mess with our theology a little bit, our understanding of God, is that it was Jesus' idea to get into that boat, wasn't it? But he had a purpose even in that. Because he knew that these disciples, in order to grow in their faith, to really trust him, they needed to experience something new. Something different than healing and what they'd seen before. So even in the storms, Jesus is doing a beautiful work in our lives. Amen? Just don't forget this one thing. Who Jesus is. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And, and while heads are bowed and eyes are closed... Um, I know there are people going through difficult times right now. And so if you're, if you're a person that is going, you consider that you are in a storm right now, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. And I would ask the rest of you to join with me in prayer for those that are going through difficult times. Father, we, we want to be like the, the kid that had the trust, that deep trust, that you will save. And so we hold on. I know these people, these individuals in this room that are going through a difficult season that maybe has felt like it's lasting forever. They're, they're holding on. They're, they're running out of breath, Lord. They're waiting for you to show yourself, to be their savior. They know that you've saved their life You've forgiven their sin, but they need, right in this moment, in this time in their life, they need to know that you are still saving them, that you care about their circumstances and their situations. And so, Father, we don't ask you a rhetorical question. Do you care? <laughs> we know that you do. Father, would you show that to them this morning? Would you be the power and the strength that they need? Would you be the security and the comfort that they need, despite their circumstances? Would you show yourself to be a mighty God so that they might 
as your witnesses, as your disciples, say, look what God has done. Only God could sustain me through this. Only God could change this circumstance. Only God could get me through this difficult time. And so we pray with our brothers and sisters this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would be their comfort in times of despair. That you would be their mighty God, able to save them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.